0: what we're going to cover today, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about two very important identities within Christianity that maybe we could use a brushing up on for this week. Those two identities are empathy and forgiveness. And those will be the routes and the paths that will allow us to read through this story in a way that doesn't just say, well, those guys were wrong and they got punished for it. And these things happen and we won't make those mistakes. And, uh, Adventism is probably better off without going back in time if we can just face forward into uh, what God has coming up for us next. Unfortunately, we have to come to terms with the reality that these people, our ancestors, the root of, of... Christianity before Christ was even uh, walking the earth, we need to walk through that with them together. And so I'd like to look closely at the identity of empathy first, because I think empathy begins the conversation that leads us to forgiveness. So we've got to ask the question, who can we have empathy with in this story? And I'm going to break it into three parts. I'm going to say that we can have empathy for the Israelites. We can have empathy for Moses and we can have empathy, believe it or not, with God. And so let's start at the top. Let's start with the people. I've been asking you over the past couple of sermons to think back to a time in which you remember being with the Israelites because potentially you were one of the Israelites walking through the exodus. And now here we find those same Israelites who have managed to escape their captivity. They have managed to get themselves out of a tough spot and cross uh, the bottom of the Red Sea as God opened it up as the Egyptians came raining down on them. And then we have the story of the Ten Commandments, where they have bought into this idea of what it means to have a covenant with God. And so through all of that, we've seen them do a lot of really good stuff. And then we get to chapter 32, they're out of good stuff, but they do have a ton of jewelry. And if they can use that jewelry to uh, somehow worship God, they're going to do it. So let's look at the Israelites and let's look at them as rookies. Let's look at them as new people in a new world trying to figure out new things to the new rules that have just been applied to their new lives. And for us, uh, it can be a little bit tough to think about... This situation, because we believe more often than not that God is always with us. And for the Israelites, that just wasn't true, because their vision of what God was and how God manifested himself was up in this mountain. So God was up there with Moses and they could tell because of the lightning and the and the thunder and the noise and the clouds all of that was happening up there And so God and Moses in this story chapter 32 God is not present for them God is absent just like Moses is absent and so they revert back to their old ways It's something that I think we can all empathize with. When you make a decision, you're going to stop doing this one thing. I'm never going to go back to it. This is is the final one. This is the final whatever it is. And then you have a really rough day. You have a bad day at work. One of your friends says something to you that's terse, and it, it hits you the wrong way. And suddenly, you start making excuses for why you're going to go back to the way things used to be. And the Israelites had spent far more time Trying to be the kind of people that you see in chapter 32 than they had trying to be the people that we learn about in chapter 20. And so, in the 12 chapters between then and now, is not really enough time to make final decisions on who they're going to become. And they've spent far more of their life being slaves and being taught how to worship gods like these. And so, While they're making this golden calf, keep in mind their heart is in a good place. The entire section, that first part of chapter 32, talks about, well, if Moses isn't coming back, then Aaron, maybe you can help us find ways to worship in the way that we used to. Because we still want to worship the Lord, but we just don't have... The Lord with us that pillar of fire is gone that cloud doesn't follow us and all of those things that used to be going on Are now going on up there. And so maybe what we could do is find a way to Bring the good back and not necessarily follow exactly the way it was But find ways to do it again in the form of this calf And so they make this calf, and Aaron's like, great, yeah, let's put everything together, we'll smelt it down, we'll create this calf, we'll worship this calf. But they thought the calf was the Lord. It's not like they went and created a brand new God, they were just trying to worship this Lord. And so Aaron says, hey, tomorrow we're going to get together, we're going to have this feast, and we're going to dedicate it to the Lord. And so their heart was in the right place, even if their way of going about things just wasn't. And so, I believe there's room to empathize here, where sometimes you do the wrong thing, but you do the wrong thing for the right reason. That's who the Israelites were, and that's what they were trying to do. They believed God was absent. They believed that what they were doing before may give them a a way to the the present and into the future, and by reverting backwards, they thought maybe they could take some of the good and take away some of the bad by uh, dedicating this to God. And they just fell short, even though their heart was in the right place. So maybe there's room for empathy for the Israelites. And let's take a look at Moses. Moses, who in this case seems pretty Adventist-ish to me, where uh, Moses knows the law. He knows exactly the way it's supposed to go. He's got it written. He carries it around like a little book. He just always has it with him just in case he needs to like, oh, what was the fourth one? Oh, yeah, that's right. We'll do that one. He's got it all with him, and so that's very Adventist of him, and so I think we can, first of all, empathize with him in the sense that he loves the law, he loves to make sense of the law, and he loves to spend time with God, and yet, Moses finds himself in a place where he comes down from Mount Sinai, he hears a party going on, when he hears the party, it upsets him, because, of course, Adventists and dancing, not a good mix, so... Uh, Moses goes down to the party, he sees what they're worshipping, he sees the golden calf, and he throws a holy fit. And the first thing he does is he takes the tablets and he shatters them at the base of Mount Sinai, basically negating the entire contract that his people had just signed with God to become God's people. What's nuts about this story is if you frame it in the order of operations, do keep in mind, Moses has come down from the mountain where he has already talked to God, where God in the conversation he was just in said, Moses, you got to get out of here. Your people are getting a little crazy and they're doing it in a way that breaks my commandments. And I just told you what was required of them. They've already found a way to break it. And God gets a little upset. We're going to talk about that in a second. But Moses finds a way to have God think again about destroying this covenant. And so Moses comes down the mountain, already aware of the fact that God has forgiven them, and yet still throws this holy fit. And I'll say it's a holy fit because I think in the same way the Israelites had the heart in the right place, Moses had the same. But Moses goes a little bit further than just maybe we should build a gold cow and then we can bring it stuff and hope that God likes that. In this case, Moses shatters holy tablets that were said to have been written by the hand of God. Then he takes the calf that they have built from all of their jewelry. He burns it. And then he takes the remnants of what is burned, and the Bible says he grinds that into a powder. He puts that powder into water, and he makes the Israelites drink the burned, powderized calf water for what they have done. I don't know exactly what that was about. I don't remember reading that in the handbook, and I'm pretty sure our church manual doesn't have that as part of the steps of excommunication and neither does the next part because Moses lines everybody up at the gate and he basically makes them pledge allegiance to one side or the other, the group of people that get there first and they're like, yeah, we want to go back to hanging out with God. He's like, great, get your sword. You're going to go kill 3000 of your brothers. And then you're going to come back and then we'll talk about it. And so Moses's version of a fit is bloody and nasty And it desecrates a lot of things by demolishing the stuff he doesn't find worthy of their cause. Is there room for empathy there? Have we ever found ourselves defending up against laws and rules and regulations and whether or not it's okay to eat shrimp or whether or not you're supposed to be doing certain things during certain times of the day on the weekend? think there might be. Unfortunately, I think a holy fit is something that we're not unfamiliar with doing. So there's room for empathy for Moses. And then, like I said, as crazy as it may seems, there is a way for us to empathize with God. We find in chapter 32, verses 7 through 10, God is mad. Ooh, God is mad. He is up on the mountain. He is talking to Moses. Moses is right in the middle of like, I got this great idea for the sanctuary. I got this cool thing. Like, what if we make the priest? And guy goes, wait, hold oh, on. Shush, shush, shush. Do you hear that? And Moses is like, no, I don't hear that. He's like, oh, that's right. I forget. You can't hear everything that I can hear. Um, okay. Breaking news. Down the mountain where your people are, And Moses is like, wait, my people. And he's like, yeah, let me finish. Uh, Where your people are, they have, get this, put together a bunch of bracelets and turned it into a cow. They're calling that cow me. They're worshiping it. And I'm pretty sure I had 10 commandments. And two of the first ones said, no other gods before me and don't make any idols. And this sounds exactly like. Those two things being broken, and so God gets so mad. I'm gonna I'm gonna read this section, I, like I said, chapter 32. I'm gonna read verses uh seven, starting in seven, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. You brought out God is already like that was your idea to bring them out of Egypt. Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore leave me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I make a great nation of you. Oof. God's mad. God's mad to the point where he's not just done with the covenant, not just get done with the people. He's about to hit the restart button and the people that Moses takes out, small number. God is going to torch the valley right at the basin of Mount Sinai and for good reason. God said, there are 10 commandments. Are you sure you want to follow them? And they said, yep, whatever you say, we'll follow. He said, okay, these are the commandments. And they broke them right away. And it's not like, well, we got two out of eight wrong, but you know, maybe, maybe you could cut us some slack. Like, Nope. You can't break these. These are commandments. These aren't just suggestions or guidelines. These are the 10 things you can't do if you want to be my chosen people. And so, uh there's this moment there's this angry exhausted parent moment that maybe gives us room to empathize where we look at this and we say have we ever been at that place where we have just been at the end of our rope at the end of our odds kids are screaming and freaking out and when they were adorable a minute ago they were cute but now They're making a scene and it's been 30 minutes of screaming and shrieking and kicking and biting and crying. And you just think to yourself, oh, oh, oh." and all those ideas start coming up in your head. And maybe if you're not a parent, maybe you you just remember that that moment in society where all of a sudden people were eating Tide Pods. And you just thought to yourself, like, what what are we (laughs) What, how is it the generation above us, below us, that is us, what do we do? And you just cannot fathom anything but anger and rage. Have you been there before? You don't have to raise your hand. And if you've already raised your hand, we'll consider this you know a confessionary moment and those around you that have seen that hand or seeing the tears or seeing the anger and the animosity because I've triggered something in your PTSD, I apologize. Be empathetic to those people and think maybe just maybe we're not too dissimilar to the people before us and the people around us. And so in this moment where we're looking at empathy for the Israelites, for Moses and for God, we've got to ask the question, if we're supposed to be empathetic, then maybe if I'm not as empathetic, how do I become empathetic? And the first thing to do is to stop looking at people as other That somehow the Israelites are different than you and me that Moses is different than you and me in this case if you take God personified that anger and rage is somehow different than me these aren't other moments these are us moments this is a look into the mirror to realize who we are by noticing who we were and empathy is something that requires you to feel someone else's pain along with them, to sit with them in it. You don't have to actually have the thing happen to you, but you can feel empathy otherwise. And if you can't muster up empathy, the gateway to empathy is sympathy, which is to say, I have been in a place like that, and I can commiserate with the consequences that you're going through. So I want to do a little exercise. And like I said before, you don't have to raise your hand, and you don't have to do it for this side either. But I looked up a bunch of laws that most people break, and I'm going to read them out loud to you so that you can see whether or not you've ever been in a place where something you knew to be wrong, or at least were semi-aware that was wrong, you did anyways. You can understand, at least sympathetically, where your 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 resonance may lie with these people. And so, uh, I'm sure you know this, but has anybody ever sped in their car while they were driving? It's against the law. Have you ever texted while you were operating a motor vehicle? It's against the law, too. You ever gone any distance without wearing your seatbelt? Moving violation. Anybody ever walked across a street where there wasn't a crosswalk? I have, and a cop caught me, and it cost me $478. Don't jaywalk in Los Angeles. It's not worth it. Um, Here's a fun one. Did you know that when you get junk mail or mail from tenants that used to live in your apartment or house, and you throw them away, that you're committing a federal crime because you're tampering with somebody else's mail? You ever carried a Sharpie in public? If you ever get caught carrying a Sharpie in public, just know you were holding a tool of graffiti. And whatever you do, do not sell a Sharpie to a minor because if you're under the age of 18, you cannot have a Sharpie on your person. Watch out. Uh, anybody ever listen to something or watch something that was downloaded illegally? Maybe with or without your understanding? Have you ever taken more than three days to update your driver's license when you change addresses? you ever purchased or adopted a dog and never paid for the dog license, it's $25 in Colorado, and if you don't do it, we'll see you in court. You ever used unsecured Wi-Fi before? Illegal. If you have ever made a prank phone call, illegal. Sometimes funny, but entirely illegal. And the kicker, the one that I'm pretty sure everybody at one point or another has done, have you ever sung the happy birthday song in public? Illegal. We've broken laws. We've broken them in ways that we didn't think we were doing anything wrong. We sped because we needed to get to whatever. We did this thing because it helped us do whatever. We carried a Sharpie because of reasons. And our heart was usually in the right place. We weren't trying to do something wrong. But Sometimes we end up breaking the law anyways And so if you can't find your way to empathy if you can't look into these stories and and see empathy then try and start with Sympathy you've been there before you've broken laws, and it's probably made somebody upset and they've forgiven you Or you've gotten away with it or you got a written warning whatever that was You've been there before let your sympathy find its way to empathy to see if you can't find a way to get to the next step Which is forgiveness Forgiveness is a tough one. And in this case, God somehow forgives these people. And you heard Kevin read this section this morning for the spoken word. Um, We've got this story in chapter 34, where God starts to speak to Moses. And it says, starting in verse six, the Lord passed before him, Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love. For thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. And I'm going to stop there because there's a comma, but it feels like a hard stop. And I'm going to leave it there for just a moment simply because. A few chapters ago, God was so mad, he was ready to nuke the base of Mount Sinai, and now he finds himself talking about how forgiving he is, and and how he is is abounding in grace, and that's a beautiful thing, but uh, it's a new story to what he was before. And this is that reminder, this is that the covenant is still with us. The covenant is here for us, and we are still God's people, and God is still this person, even if he needed a pep talk from Moses every once in a while while sitting on Mount Sinai. And the reality is, this story tells us not only about forgiveness then, but it tells us about our forgiveness now. The fact that God has empathized with the human condition to give us forgiveness today. And this covenant doesn't break. And because this covenant has been renewed, this is actually forgiveness in the future, which is wild because God knows what we're capable of. He knows we can let him down and he knows that we're still putting our heart in the right place. So when we break these laws, God is still there for us. And so this forgiveness is rich. It's to us. It's for us. And in some points, it's despite us. And so that's a forgiveness that we need to work through today. It's a forgiveness we need to work through in our society, in our culture. And we can look at this in different ways. And because we're in the middle of a pandemic, it gives us a pretty good uh, workspace to really think about some things. And we can paint on this canvas in different ways. Think about it this way. These people had a very little amount of time to get up to speed on how they were supposed to act and who they were supposed to be. And if you want to build a parallel. Maybe it's the new mandates regarding COVID-19. We were told at a certain point we had to stay six feet away from each other, which is not something Adventists do super well because we're big on hugging. And so six feet's a long way away. We had to wear masks and that was new because they're hard to breathe in and they constrict and they don't feel good and it gets hot outside and then it gets rough to wear them. These things are tough to follow. And now we took away church, suddenly you can't get a haircut for those of you who are blessed to have hair Um, and then we took away your toilet paper and you were expected to continue to be graceful people, forgiving people, when it felt like everything was taken away, when there was no job and there was no escape from your home. These new mandates were tough to follow and as they continue they're even tougher because things started to open up and we started to loosen our own restrictions even when we're asked to continue keeping them tight. It's tough and in that moment we can become unforgiving people because we think, wow, if that person isn't doing such and such and if that person isn't wearing that or if they're not doing this or they've broken this rule or, you know, you've taken a photo of a bunch of kids that are in a, in a, uh, a party together sitting on a porch and they're definitely not wearing masks and they're not six feet away or there's just a group of people swimming somewhere or huddled around a jacuzzi. We suddenly lose that empathy, and we definitely lose the ability to be forgiving. But there's something we need to look at here in this story, and I alluded to it earlier. Keep in mind, God is with Moses on top of Mount Sinai, and the party is just beginning when God gives the note to Moses, you need to go down there and work on your people. He says, and as you leave, just be aware you're going to hear some explosions and fire and screaming. Don't worry about that. Everything will be fine. Um, Moses says, hey, look, can you forgive them for what they did? Don't forget your covenant. Don't forget your people. Don't forget the fact that you did this through different generations up until this point, And those people made mistakes, too. Do you think you can find it within yourself to be forgiving? And God says, fine, I'll forgive them. And nothing has changed in the valley. The party is still going. They're still down there. They're still worshiping the calf. They're still doing all the things wrong. They are breaking commandments actively when God says, I forgive them and I will renew my covenant with them. And so they're not ready for what has been given to them. And they're certainly not ready to be the people God has asked them to be. And they have broken the covenants that they said they were going to adhere to. And God says, that's okay. You're still my people. So we find ourselves in this place where we see other people breaking rules and all these mandates and we think to ourselves, man, these people, these unruly people that have broken the covenant that we have here in Colorado, it would be so easy for us to think about a restart or, you know, building a place where those people go so they don't go around these people and then we go back to thinking of them as the other and forgiveness is far, far off of our plate. And we've got to ask the question, if we're going to be forgiving, especially when we think somebody's doing the wrong thing and we all know the right thing to be doing, the question becomes, how? How do you become a forgiving person? And the answer is simple. We have to think about the presence. And that's what the title of this sermon is based around, this idea of the presence. And we see it talked about in chapter 33. And if you look at verse 14, God is speaking to Moses and he says to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And for Moses, that's all he needs to go back up the mountain. He needs to know that God is with him. And he asks him multiple times, like, are you sure you're with me? I'm sure I'm in your favor. God says, yes, you're in my favor. Come on up. We're going to have a conversation. And that gives Moses the ability to know he's okay when he goes to be with God, because God is with him in this moment. But the presence isn't with the Israelites. They think God is somewhere else. God is up there. And so they're having a hard time reckoning with what they're supposed to be doing, with who they're supposed to be doing it with. And so if we're going to be forgiving people, step number one is you've got to ask for the presence to be a part of your life. You can tell when the presence isn't with you when you become less empathetic and less forgiving. When you start being more hateful and less uh, forgiving and more judgmental, you know you're not really working with the presence. You're working with emotions. You're working with anger. You're working with rage. You're working with things that aren't necessarily of God. Now, we know God is able to do these things, but even God got a reminder to stop doing some of that stuff. And so, the first step for us to be more forgiving is to first happen to your empathy. And second, if you can't do it, ask God for his presence to be in your life. Recognize it in your own life. Recognize that when you ask that to come into your life, it will change the way you think. It'll change the way you see. It'll change the way you act. And that is a good thing. And then Don't forget to look for the presence in other people. Don't think for a second just because you do certain things, you go to church on a certain day, or you believe certain ideas and you do certain things the way you're supposed to do it, means that you're the only person with the presence. God is in these stories, not just in Moses, but in the Israelites, in Aaron, who made the call to build the calf. God's presence is in other people, and we need to start recognizing that. Third, or fourth, do it in spite of things. Even if you don't see the presence in other people, because you have the presence in you, look to forgive in spite of what other people are doing. They may not deserve it, but that's not the point of forgiveness. The point isn't to break somebody down so that they understand what they did wrong, and then you forgive them. God didn't do that for the Israelites here, and we're not supposed to do it for one another. So even when that person is breaking the rules, screaming in your face why they are allowed to, why it's going against their freedoms to do otherwise forgive anyways in spite of what they're doing not trying to win them over until they do the right thing so that you can forgive them forgive them now and in this moment and don't forget to share that presence if you've asked for the presence to be in you find a way to share the presence rather than sharing ridicule or content or contempt or anything like that um Moses broke into a cancel culture mentality and killed 3,000 people because they weren't doing the right thing Um, We can make arguments back and forth about what we should do when and why Um, But you have the presence you know better. You've asked for God to be a part of your life So share that presence for somebody who maybe doesn't know about it They probably know the rules and regulations that you're about to say they probably got good reasons why they're fighting against it What they don't know is that you can bring to them grace and peace and empathy and forgiveness. See about sharing it instead of the ridicule. The presence for the Israelites was always somewhere else, but the presence doesn't have to be somewhere else for you. It's in you if you ask for it, it's in others if you're looking for it, and it can be shared if you're willing to share it over other things. The reality is this, in our move from Egypt to Canaan, from our move from into a pandemic to out of it. Uh, There's a lot that was still to be learned, there's a lot that we have become, and there's a lot that we're going to become if we're willing to allow certain things to change within us. It takes looking at the Ten Commandments differently. It takes understanding why the Red Sea was what it was. It takes putting our trust into a God that has proved over and over that He's worthy of our trust, our worship, and our praise. So the question becomes, as we look at the presence and we walk from this series into the next one. What are you going to do when the Presence is a part of your life, when you ask for the Presence to become part of what you do? We know what it looks like when we don't. We've got plenty of stories of regret, and I wish, and should I have done this differently? Um, We know what that looks like. But why don't we give this one a chance? What happens when we try it God's way instead of our own way? I don't know what will come out of it, but I do know the past and the present and the future show that good things come of it when you let God provide, and we let ourselves step away from thinking about the other, and we begin to bring people into the fold so that the presence can grow, and so can the kingdom. And so in this time, as we move away from this series, I wish you all the best. I hope that you're all staying well, and I hope the presence finds a way to come into your life and change you for the better. God bless you.